It was about this time that King Herod arrested some of some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. When he saw that this met with approval among the, the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the festival of unleavened bread. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover, so Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. This is the word of the Lord. You can have a seat. Good morning, everyone. It is good to be with you this morning. Um, It was only fitting that a woman preach on Father's Day, since men normally preach on Mother's Day. Um, So... It's good to be with you. I wanted to extend a happy Father's Day to you fathers out there. And for those of you, um, for this day that brings you grief or pain, just know that there's space for you as well. Um, But before we begin, let's pray and ask for God's help. God, it is your breath in our lungs. And so we give you praise. Um, You are made perfect and strong in our weaknesses, and I just thank you um, for who you are. I thank you for just bringing us all together again um, another Sunday to to hear from your word, and I pray, Lord, that the words that come out of my mouth will be your words, and Lord, I just can't help um, but think of the 2,000 children right now that are detained God, I I know you're a God of justice, and so I just pray that you would act and that you would move, and Lord, that we wouldn't take our children for granted. And God, I pray that your spirit would move mightily this morning and that you would be with us as we hear from you. May the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. And it's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Have you ever felt like things were going really well, right? Where they were going as you planned them to go, everything was working out the way you thought, and then the ball drops. I mean, we all know or have those moments. For some of you, those moments were this week. And for some of you, those moments are the week to come. But when you feel like you're just doing well, and you're growing, and you're learning, and you're maturing, and everything is good and dandy, and then boom, you lose your temper, and you lash out on a friend, or a coworker, or a spouse, or an unexpected visitor shows up, or unexpected trips to the ER happen, or a bill that you didn't know about shows up in the mail, or sickness comes back again, or you have family or friend drama. I mean, those things happen. We've all been there. And that's where we are this morning with our story. You see, last week, Andrew talked about Cornelius and Peter and how God was doing a mighty work 
in both of them. I mean, you had Peter who was being confronted with his partiality, and then you had Cornelius who was being exposed to the God he feared, and the church is growing, and God is doing a mighty work, and it's extending to the Gentiles. I mean, it's, it's going great. The church is expanding. God's plan from the beginning right before our eyes is unfolding like the historic solar eclipse we all saw last year. I mean, it's going fantastic. It's beautiful. It's unbelievable. It's jaw-dropping, but then the, jaw, the ball drops. And look at what it says in Acts 12, verses 1 through 3. It says, It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. And when he saw that this was met with approval among the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. King Herod, who was the grandson of Herod the Great, who was reigning when Jesus was on earth, did not like what was happening with the church. And what I need you to know, friends, this morning is that the church was a movement that wasn't associated with the Roman Empire. It wasn't associated with the, the political regiment of the day. And this was causing a major problem because there were Jews who were actually associated with the political figures and authorities and with the Roman Empire. And they could not stand what was happening with the church because these people who were claiming to believe in this God that they learned of from the beginning, they were, they were loving and they were acting and they were believing and they were doing things that were so different from what they learned. I mean, they were including people that shouldn't be included. I mean, Christians were a political threat. And so King Herod thought, you know, if I could just kill the leaders of the movement, then I can eradicate the entire movement. If I could just get those who are in charge, then everything else will stop. And you see, friends, this isn't a tactic that's been used in the first century only. I mean, we've been using this tactic throughout history and are still using the same tactic in our present day. I mean, people thought that if you just kill Martin Luther King Jr., you can kill and eradicate the civil rights movement. Or people thought that if you put the right person in power, you can silence those who have no power. Or people thought that if you kill the Christian pastors that go and are extending the gospel to all people, then you can stop the gospel spreading. Or if we could just tear down that one person who's better than we are, who is growing more than we are, then we can stop their growth and feel better about ourselves. You see, it's a tactic that we all use. And it's a tactic that continues to be used today. And so... King Herod says, all right, let's go kill James, the brother of John. And the sadder part, folks, is that the Jewish authorities were pleased with what King Herod was doing. 
Because you see, friends, sometimes those who you think are on your side are actually lurking in the dark waiting for your destruction. They were pleased with what King Herod did. And so then he proceeded and took, took Peter hostage, and he used 16 soldiers to get him. I mean, how, like, 16? Like, that's just ridiculous. But he uses 16 soldiers to get him, and the goal was to put him on trial and to bring him out the day after the Passover, which was a highly respectable holiday in the Jewish faith. But look at what it says. Look at what happens in verse 5. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. Parents in the room, how annoying is it when your child asks the same question over and over and over again, right? Or how annoying is it when they ask you for the same thing over and over and over again, and you know, and they know, they're not going to get it until Christmas, or they're not going to get it until their birthday, but they're asking you for it over and over or and over. We get frustrated, right? It's kind of annoying. Or couples, that time when you were married and people were like, oh, when are you going to have children? You're like, you serious? I just got married. Or like your single folks in the room, like, when are you going to get married? It's like, well, if I knew, I would tell you when I was going to get married, but obviously I don't know, right? I mean, it's so annoying, and we get asked these questions, and we get frustrated, but have you ever persistently and earnestly asked God for something? I mean, have you ever found yourself pleading before God to save a loved one? Or to heal a loved one? Or asking him to bring someone back to faith and you're, you've been asking for years? I mean, the church was earnestly praying for Peter. And they had no idea what was going to happen. I mean, for all they knew, Peter was about to be killed. I mean, their other leader just was. But the possible result and the looming possibility of death didn't stop their prayers. Because if it was anything that they learned or knew, it was this, that God hears their prayers, that he inclines their ear to their cry and suffers with them. And so... It was the night before trial. And to our surprise, Peter is sleeping. And I don't know about you, but growing up, the day before school, I was so nervous and excited that I couldn't sleep. I mean, I was so excited to start my new grade and to start my new classes. And it even happened in college and in seminary. I mean, I was that geek. I was that nerd that I couldn't wait to go to school the next day because I was so excited about the newness. And I couldn't sleep, and I'm anxious, and my stomach is turning. But you know what? I wasn't going to wake up and then potentially hit my death, right? I mean, Peter here is about to put, be put on trial and get killed. I mean, I can't imagine the worry or the anxiety and the fear that I would be feeling 
But for some reason, Peter is sleeping. And my only logical explanation or answer to that is that for some reason or deep down within, Peter knew. Peter knew that God had his back. And look at what it says um, in verse 7. As Peter continues to sleep, it says, Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said. And chains fell, fell off Peter's wrists. Out of nowhere, an angel of the Lord comes and the chains that held Peter bound, and he was attached to two soldiers. So imagine being chained to two people. Those chains were broken and bound, and he escaped. And the angel tells Peter, hey, you need to get dressed first, so get some clothes on and come and follow me. And he follows the angel out of, out of the prison. It's just kind of hilarious because Peter actually thinks he's dreaming. You know, you know those moments when we dream, but we actually think it's real? And you wake up, and your heart's racing, and you're like, oh, my goodness. I thank God this isn't real. But this is Peter. Like, he is dreaming, and I think he's hoping it's real. But he's walking out, and he's getting out of there, and the, and the angel's leading him out. And he goes to the first guard, and he gets past the second guard. And they go to the city gate, and the gate unlocks for them out of nowhere, like how our dreams do it, right? We go into spaces where we can't, right? The, the, the city, the gate unlocks, and he gets out to the street. And then he realizes, oh, this isn't a dream. And as he's walking out on the street, the angel actually leaves Peter. And this is the revelation Peter has as he's walking on the street in verse 11. He says, then Peter came to himself and said, now I know without a doubt that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were, were hoping would happen. Peter experienced God's rescue and learns once again that nothing can stop his God. Nothing. And so when he realized that he wasn't dreaming anymore, he goes to Mary. John Mark's mother's house, and, and people were gathered there, and they were praying, and it was the church at the time, and Peter knocks on the door, and a 13-year-old servant girl goes to the door, and her name is Rhoda, and she comes and she answers, and she recognized that it was Peter. Now, can you just imagine this for a second? You were gathered with the people to pray in verse 5. You have no idea what's going to happen to Peter. Someone's knocking on your door, and you open it, and it's Peter. I mean, it's like that unexpected surprise visitor that comes to visit you, and you open the door, and you're just like, what are you doing here, right? You're, you're trying to still, like, connect the fact that they're right there in front of you. And so Rhoda is just totally surprised. And so she goes and tells the people, but look at what they say to her in verse 15. They say, you are out of your mind, they told her. When she kept insisting that it was so, they said, it must be his angel. Because there was a belief in the day that if you died, that your angel and your spirit would still loom around. So people thought, oh, that's just Peter's angel. That's just his spirit. 
but no one believed Rhoda. And you young folks in the room, especially you young girls, listen to me carefully. I know that many times you get overlooked because of your age and your gender. And I know that oftentimes that can make you feel unworthy or unvalued. But I want you to listen to me carefully this morning and I wanna tell you that you are worthy and you are valuable in whatever skin, whatever age, and whatever gender you are. And if God can use an eight-year-old boy to be king over Israel, and if he could use two women to witness the resurrection of Jesus, and if he could use a 13-year-old servant girl to go tell people good news, he can use you. And he can give you a word because you are valuable and precious in his sight. God has no preference or partiality to who he uses. And he can use you. And after they didn't believe Rhoda, Peter, Peter kept knocking on the door because she actually left him outside. And so this time everyone came to the door because they probably thought, well, maybe she's right. So they all come to the door and they open the door and it's Peter. And Peter's like, shh, because they're probably like, oh my gosh, you know, like Peter's here. But he's like, shh, like don't, like don't rat me out. You know, they're trying to find me. And so he tells them what the Lord did. And friends, remember, these were the people that were praying in verse 5. And this shows us that they weren't necessarily expecting Peter to be released. And sometimes I know that we can pray and pray, and it seems as if God doesn't answer our prayers. And it's hard to deal with that. I have prayed to God and there have been prayers that haven't been answered. And I know that all of you in this room can attest to that. But then, but then I know we all can also attest that there have been times when we pray and we've been praying for years and God answers our prayers in ways that we would never expect. And I don't know why God answers some prayers and not others, friends. I don't know. I can't give you that answer. But here's what I do know. Is that in our unanswered prayers and in our answered prayers, here's what we can hold on to. Is that God always, always, always listens to our cries. He always, always, always listens to his children's voice. And that is what we can hold on to. Because one of their leaders died, but one of them was set free. And Peter continues to go, to, tell, to go tell the people and to tell James, not the one that died, but the brother of Jesus, of what was happening and to go and tell all of the brothers and the sisters in the faith that Peter was released. And then, guess what happens? The next morning happens. And the day of trial has arrived. And the soldiers wake up, and guess what? 
they don't find a Peter there. And King Herod was not having it. He had an entire search, okay, looking for Peter, searching and looking, and they couldn't find him. I don't even know where they hit him. I want to know because they couldn't not find Peter. And so King Herod, in his anger, had all the soldiers killed and executed because they didn't follow their orders. And so after this, King Herod said, I'm out. I'm leaving. And so he left, and he went to Caesarea because there was some strife happening between the people of Tyre and Sidon, and they wanted some peace, you know, and they're like, come on, king, give us some peace. And they go and they present themselves to a trusted friend of the, of the king, and they finally get peace. You know, Herod settles it. And then Herod comes out and gives a big speech in verse 22. Look at, look at what he says. The people shouted, this is the voice of God, not of a man. And immediately, because Herod did not give praise to God, an angel of the Lord struck him down, and he was eaten by worms and died. But the word of God continued to spread and flourish. Be careful when you try to be God or to take his place, because it led to King Herod's death. King Herod wanted to shut down the church, but what King Herod didn't know was that he isn't ultimately Lord of the church. What King Herod didn't know was that Jesus, who is Lord and King over the church, will go to great lengths to preserve and protect it. And our God is a God of justice who makes wrong things right. And so even in the midst of all what he tried to do, what Herod tried to do, we are reminded that the word of God continued to spread and flourish. King Herod thought if you kill a leader, you can stop the movement. But what he didn't know is that you're never going to kill the leader. You can never stop the movement because the leader was killed and rose again. And because the leader, who is actually Lord of the church, will do anything he needs to do to preserve his church. The church didn't stop. It actually multiplied. It actually grew. And I can imagine that when Peter wrote his first epistle, which is 1 Peter, this is what he writes in chapter 1, verses 24 and 25. And I can't help but to think that he was thinking of this when he says, For all people are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And friends, our story ends here. What an incredible story, right? But what's the point? What is God wanting us to live with today? What is he wanting us to learn about him today? The point is this. God is coming to get you out. And nothing can stop him. God is coming to rescue you from your bondage and chains. And no lock is too tight or too closed 
to stop him. The early church was not surprised that they had to suffer. They actually knew that a life following Jesus meant a life of suffering. But what they did need to know and be reminded of was that God was going to come in and rescue them from their suffering, whether in this life or in the one to come. And Peter said it in verse 11 when he said, Now I know without a shadow of a doubt that the Lord sent his angel for my rescue. God is coming to rescue you from the bondage and chains of whatever those chains are for you. Whether that's your pain, whether that's your trauma, whether that's your addictions, whether that's your disappointments, whether that's your unanswered prayers. He is coming to unlock them and they are going to fall and they will continue to fall just like Peter's did. Because Jesus took all of our weaknesses, failures, disappointments, and sicknesses, and trauma and pain, and he nailed it to the cross. Overcoming death itself and overcoming all of our weaknesses and sins at his resurrection. See, the church in America needs to know that suffering is inevitable. It's part of the Christian life. We are going to suffer, and I don't like that, just like you. I don't like that we have to suffer, especially when you've been suffering what it feels like your whole life. I don't like that people get sick and die. I don't like that relationships get estranged. I don't like that abuse permeates within our walls. I don't like that we get treated differently than other people. I don't like that. I don't like the unexpected things that happen. I don't like that the world groans, right, and creation groans. I don't like it. And because this is so, we, could, we get to lament, and we get to be honest about our grief and about our pain and our sufferings, and we get to cry out to God about our setbacks and our failures and our disappointments and our anger towards him because he made a way in Jesus for that to be acceptable. We, we can come to Jesus just as we are with our pain and our frustrations. They get to matter. It gets to matter, and it gets to be okay. We don't need to sugarcoat how terrible it is to live in this world sometimes. We will suffer. But friends, God is coming to get us out. He provided a way out in Jesus so that you and I can join his mission on earth in making all things new. Where we don't have to be doomed by our sin or doomed by the things that people have done to us. But we can experience deliverance and healing and freedom and reconciliation and joy and goodness and growth and maturity in the midst of our pain because nothing has ever stopped God and nothing will ever stop him. Not even your failures. We get to experience our rescue here on earth now. The gospel, the good news is for today, friends. 
It's not just a future thing. It's a for today thing. And we await to experience the fullness of that rescue when we gather together with all the believers, young and old, every tribe, tongue, and nation, and we're standing before our King, and we can sing together, hallelujah, you have won the victory. Hallelujah, you have won it all for me. Because death could not hold you down. You are the risen King, seated in majesty, you are the risen king. Let's pray. God, we thank you for reminders and stories like that of Peter's rescue because it reminds us that you're a God who rescues us. That you're a God who's been about rescue from the beginning that you heard the cries of your people in Egypt and you came and rescued them, how you rescued your people out of exile, how you yourself came and rescued humanity from their sin and darkness, and how you continue to rescue us even today. And so, God, I pray that we would be mindful of your rescue that we would give you praise for our rescue and that we would join you in your rescue as we go out and rescue and get others. God, we are grateful and we are so thankful for who you are and for what you've done. We ask now, Lord, that we um, would respond well to your word. We love you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.